0: We welcome our political commentators today. It's Sue Maroney and Bridget Morton. Kia ora korua. Morena. Can you hear me, Sue? Yes. yes. There you go. There you go. Uh, Sue Maroney is a former Labour MP, now Chief Executive of Community Law Centres Aotearoa. She's also the Chair of the Waikato Labor Electorate Committee. Bridget Morton is a Director with public and commercial law firm Frank Zogovi a former senior ministerial advisor to the previous national-led government, a National Party member, and currently volunteering for the party's deputy leader, Nicola Willis. Uh, which will be relevant, because we're going to be talking about fiscal plans, and of course Nicola Willis is the finance spokesperson for National. Let's just touch base with where we're at. Two weeks ago. a couple of provisos. There's the presumption there'll be a hell of a lot of early voting. It opens today. Uh, in fact, some guesstimate 75-80% perhaps may have voted by election day. And it's just a bit of an odd campaign. It feels very stage managed, even more than usual, Sue. We know we've had these concerns about some people just being extremely inappropriately rude uh, or handsy even with some candidates. Uh, And now we've got the Labour leader with COVID. I'm struggling to remember one quite like this for a while, Sue.
1: Oh, look, I feel that there are strains of 2005 with this election campaign, actually. Um, I've, I've felt that for quite some time. Um, it's going to be uh, closer than people a- are anticipating. And I think it's got a few twists and turns to come yet. And so early voting is a really interesting phenomenon because it is growing. It's growing the uh, it's growing the turnout at each election since it was introduced in 2011. So that that's a really great thing. It means that more people are having their voice heard. But it does mean that as things roll out in the election campaign, and as I say, I think there's a bit of water to go under this bridge, that um, the risk is that if people vote um, today, which they can do, um, that they may have some different thoughts come the end of this week or or even the middle of next week. So it it is a bit of a roller coaster and there's still quite a lot of this campaign to go. It is close in the context
0: of the left-right divide, although at the moment uh, difficult to see a pathway for the left, right? But Labour, uh, where the Greens have grown, they seem to have taken off Labour. Uh, and to Party Māori, actually, um, we're seeing some tight electorate seats. You have a very, very high bar around talking about polls and electorate seats because they're, they're a subset of a subset. Uh, but tight in what respect, Sue, what would it take to really close up the options and give the, the, the left a path to power from here?
1: Look, I don't agree that the Green vote, um, which is increasing, is coming directly from Labour. Um, I think there have been polls last week that in fact show that there has been um, a slight swing to the left overall um, comparing those polls with with the, the same poll two weeks earlier. So that's why I say it's going to be close, because if you um, do MMP maths, which means that you have to look at the right versus the left rather than um, just strictly Labour versus national, then there is a pathway through for Labour. It does mean that, that that slight shift that I saw it in one of the polls last week, um, if that is correct and if that momentum keeps going, that's what tightens the race up. So where are you putting um, New Zealand first in this discussion? Well, um New Zealand first, I think, and I've said for some time um'll get over the five percent threshold, and so um that's going to be very interesting because it means that uh you know if if that uh, if that does occur, then the national party are going to have to stitch together their own you know, yeah. their own so we've already talked to the end today about how
0: uh interesting that's going to get, but um, what Really, what prospect for Labour with New Zealand first when, okay, he's ruled them out, as we just said, everyone sees that before the election, but really with what happened in 2020 uh, and his strong, strong statements about uh, how he felt he was kept in the dark over any number of matters, what would it take, do you think? What could Labour and the Greens on the left offer and to Party Māori um, with with the number of MPs it brings in if if, if it's holding a electorate seat at least? What could possibly swing it for that equation as opposed to National Act New Zealand First?
1: I I think it would have to be um, the Greens where their vote is growing, Labor and Party Māori. I don't see that that coalition would, um, I think all the parties have been clear, both um, New Zealand First and Labor have been clear that that's that's not a prospect for them. Um, So it it does depend on what happens with that, as I say, that small but discernible shift to the left over the coming weeks. 2005 was a fight-back
0: election, is the point you're making, I think, and a very aggressive one by the then leader, Helen Clark, uh, uh, versus Don Brash. Um, but, Bridget, would you see parallels with what's happening here? One of the things that surprised me about this election has actually been a lack of volatility in the weeks and even months in the run-up, where often you'll see you know, Labour ahead of national, and national ahead of Labour or whatever. There's been a fairly consistent pattern this year, but now we're into the business end. And is there still time for a nasty shock? For national, beyond the one it, it might be getting when it comes to coalition negotiations,
2: I think there is absolutely time for a nasty shock, and we've seen with Labor particularly when in desperate times, will go for desperate measures. You know, you go back and you look at you know that letter they sent to all the state housing tenants saying that they were going to be evicted. That is the kind of tactic that I think National has to be wary of that could happen in these two weeks, which is why I think you see those two different narratives coming out. Luxon's voting today, encouraging everyone to vote early. He wants to build on the trend that you've just talked about, that there's been a steady upward sort of trend towards the right block, where you've got Hipkins saying very strongly, just wait, you never know what could happen. You know, if you don't know, don't vote. Um, Really trying to buy as much time as he possibly can, particularly because he can't be on the campaign trail these five days as well. I don't think I agree with Sue's MMP maths, and I do think MMP can throw up a whole bunch of alternatives, so there's no perfect um, well, 2005 so was an
0: example. There was a four-way, I think, that was theoretically uh, possible and explored for about five hours, I think. (laughs) Yeah, but you've got to worry
2: about a government that would be based on the fact that Winston Peters has said, I've absolutely ruled out Hipkins and I rule out that Mm. government and I don't trust anything they say and Hipkins has done the same and Hipkins has said, I don't trust and listed all these things that he said. Is that really what they're looking for? Is a government built on that kind of foundation? Yeah, but... I think
0: whatever we get, if these polls play out, is going to be a complex government. That has been the trend of any yep. of the last two or three weeks because New Zealand First is back in the picture and it will want a roll.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think, you know, it's very clear from Luxon's narrative that he's clearly not ruling out Winston and that's going to be complex. But I don't think you've got the same hurdles to overcome from the Luxon leadership as you have from the Hipkins leadership.
0: Let's look at the fiscal plans. To And, you know, just starting... Starting out even by saying that. Um, it's one of the challenges, isn't it, for, part, for for any party trying to make headway to say what these people are saying actually doesn't stack up because people are so focused, at the, it, it appears on this election, um, on their current hip-pocket situations, on the stresses and pressures of their lives um, and with a good deal of COVID fatigue to add in the mix. Is anyone going line by line through these fiscal plans, Sue, and saying that doesn't add up, it's going to mean this has to happen. Are, are
1: those messages resonating? Well, look, first of all, just uh, can I just come back to the complexity of government issue first? Um, because it is going to be much more complex to actually get Winston and David Seymour to agree on anything together. They clearly hate each other. So, you know, that's going to be very complex. Look, on on the fiscal plan, um, what people see is that they see... The, the they're not going through it line by line now I mean I'm um, and I'm, I'm presuming Bridget is as well. I'm on the doorstep talking to people at the moment about their voting choices and they're not talking line by line or fiscal plans but what they can see is they step back and they see national talking about um, lower taxes so lower income coming into government, and reducing debt, and they just know that that means savage cuts, because you can't have both of those things happening without savage cuts happening. And I listened to what Christopher Larkson said this morning um, with you, Catherine, and he carefully avoided the question about what was going to happen um, with uh, with um, benefits, and um, what they would do in that field. Um, Labour has said that there's a $2 billion cut to benefits and beneficiaries under Labor's plan, under National's fiscal plan.
0: Well, it's not a cut, Sue. It's it's less than they would get
1: if the indexation stayed the way
0: it is now. Yeah, Um, yeah, absolutely. So I was asking asking about entitlements, um, et et cetera. But this question of it, and Bridget, this is a question for you. I'll come back, Sue. What is the point of the mini-budget in December, if it is not an opportunity to rethink some of what was in this fiscal plan that's just come out here now, do we really need to know that this government department has reached X percent of the 6.5% in this government department? Do we really need to know that in the mini-budget? Or is it an opportunity to say, actually, the DFU is even worse than the prefu
2: and... I mean, there's always that possibility, but I think actually the point of a mini-budget is to demonstrate actually we're making those changes straight away. So you saw National put out their 100-day plan yesterday. There was a number of things in that 100-day plan that will need budget reallocation. So I assume that that's what the key things will be in that budget, is actually moving that money around so it can be used where it needs to be used, and demonstrating that to the public. Let's not forget politics still matters after the election. I think, you know, in terms of the fiscal plan, I agree with Sue that nobody's going like. by line for the fiscal plan. Most of us have zero ability to actually do that. Well, there's not many lines to go through, to be honest. So anyway, carry on. And so I think absolutely it is what people are looking at. We know that lower um, taxes does resonate with people because it means that it's more money in their back pocket. Interestingly, talking about the doorsteps... You know where I have been out and about on the doorsteps. When people think about government debt and government spending, they just give examples of what they can see within the places they work themselves here in Wellington. That like, yeah, we do need to clean that up, and we do need to clean that up. It's really interesting that this kind of line that Labor's really pushing—that it's all about cuts—and most people are going, "Yes, I just think that eighty percent more spending that has come under this government has not been well but this used." this is the
0: point to Mr. Luxon. The Fiscal plan headlines are basically the same. Three hundred million a year off operating spending of uh, you know well over a hundred, was one hundred and fifty billion or whatever um, budget is minuscule. So and they've been criticised by the taxpayers' union um, and and others over this. So the suspicion then is left that okay, will there be something more? Um, and yeah. you know, is, is that a fair question? Because you've been saying spendings up eighty percent and. You know, it shouldn't be, and we're not seeing improvements, and yet not radically
2: changing in your own budget. Well, I think you then have to say, well, credibly, can you believe Grant Robinson's spending promises? And he hasn't kept to any of those expenditure. Um, you know, we said, talked about this before that he doesn't keep to the spending envelopes he promises but actually, he will. most
0: governments don't. I, you know, honestly, there was, there was analysis I done think by Gareth Gareth has got the numbers. There was an analysis done over the two decades of education spending, and every single government went beyond their operating allowance on it. Yeah, on what was the element. Labor. Yeah. So I
2: think, you know, but I think Bill English would definitely say that he absolutely kept um, to what he said he would do. So I think you absolutely, when you actually look at fiscal plans and the demonstration, actually it's really about credibility and who do you trust more. And we know at the moment that National, if you look at the polling, is trusted more in the economy. So it's probably more likely their fiscal plan has okay. resonated more than Labor's. will. Sue, so back
0: to you. Um, the question is whether they would want to come in with some big, dramatic move um, straight after an election in a very sort of potentially a, a challenging, problematic. Um, coalition arrangement anyway, or whether they've actually assaged some fears by a fiscal plan that actually doesn't headline change much from Labour's.
1: Well, I think that, you know, as I said before, people just know instinctively that if you're talking about having less income coming in through tax cuts, that driving inflation up and her and bringing the deck down that something's got to give somewhere and this talk of back office functions going sounds really benign but in fact what we know from past experience is that when you take out the back office functions from health Then you end up having doctors and nurses doing administration work instead of the work that they are highly paid for to do properly on the front line. So you end up with all these inefficiencies in the system that actually don't make the jobs better, don't make the public health system better. They, in fact, make it worse. Um, And it sounds quite benign. All these back office functions are really meaningful tasks that actually make the system work every day. So, you know, we should be very concerned about what that's going to mean in all of those settings. So a week on, what do you make of Christopher
0: Luxon's move to not rule out Winston Peters or even to go near a subject he'd managed to dodge all the way till now? Uh, it happened, it was basically this time last week, first thing in the morning the social media ad went out, and then I think that night we saw a, um, a News Hub poll that probably gave us some elaboration on why, uh, because New Zealand first back over 5% and actually needed, not just over 5%, but actually needed under that poll. Was it a strategic error? One thing I am noticing here is that New Zealand First has, had more, uh, has declared more donations than any previous election, much of that coming in the last few weeks from Rich Listers and property magnates, the Post reports. So certainly the focus on New Zealand First in recent weeks has so t- t- declared $881,000. Was it a mistake to, th- to-, to do what Luxon did?
1: Oh, like he was between a rock and a hard place, and he still is. Um, as I said before, you know, try put those two big egos of David Seymour and Winston Peters together and you really have got chaos going on. He knows this and he wants to avoid it at all costs, but if anyone's been watching politics over the last, I don't know, couple of decades, always... at this stage of an election cycle, New Zealand First has um, has always had a bit of a surge in, in support. So this is not unusual that this has happened. Um, and I don't know why Chris Luxon thought that this year would be any different. So he should have had a plan for this, and he doesn't seem to have one. Um, I think he's going to have, if he is in a position to be negotiating to try and form a government after the election, that is going to be an extraordinarily difficult task. and I'm I don't feel confident that he would be able to go to the, the governor general, um, with, you know, with supply and confidence. Well, you know,
0: everyone, everyone involved in that scenario um, would have an intention to. Of course they don't want the bubbles of office, any of them, but every one of them would want a resolution, right? Otherwise you're back to another election, Bridget. Yeah, so-
2: and I think you saw that honesty coming through in Lux and saying, I don't want to do this, but if it means keeping Labour and Greens and Party Mouldy out of government, of course I'm going to you know, pick up their phone. I think that honesty probably works for him. Always the timing. Who knows in this hypothetical world what it does in terms of bumping up um, Winston Peters' vote or not. We do know, though, across the board, whenever any party is going up in the polls closer to election, you get more donations. So I don't think you should overread that particular okay. statistic.
0: Polls show voters lukewarm on multi-party coalition arrangements. I don't have it in front of me, but one of the, the pulses has delved into this and people aren't happy about the prospect of what might come out after this Um But, including National Party voters, is is it just the reality? Uh, And and they'll just have to get on 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 both sides, and one side will probably manage to play off the other at some point. Um, I've seen that happen before. Will, Will they just have to get on with it? This is where we're heading, it appears.
2: Yeah, I think absolutely. We know MNP brings up coalitions except for the current state, and I think you know with uh, for most voters if you're a swing voter it's hard enough sometimes to pick the party that matches most of what you want out of government let alone trying to work out all those machinations which is why that always the advice is just vote for the party that you support rather than trying to be strategic about it but i think most people also just want the government to get on with actually fixing what is going on at the moment and if there's going to be more talk amongst themselves and about themselves than about actually what's happening in the country they're not going to be happy they're with they're just going to try and pretend it's not happening
0: um, What's Labour's messaging then, Sue? In in this situation where people will inevitably come to focus on how things are shaping up, and yes, there's only one poll that matters, but nonetheless, there's a lot of interest in third parties, and almost unprecedented, in third parties in this election as a proportion of the overall vote. What should Labour's messaging be?
1: Well, I think that, I mean, it's been clear on the campaign trail that the three parties that would make up a coalition of the left are parties that get on with each other and don't have huge amounts of disagreement with each other. So it really is going to be the difference between, um, a, you know, a coalition of people who can get on and put their plan in place, which is not too dissimilar from each other. Or there's the coalition on the other side where they're going to be constantly bickering at each other and, and trying to, you know, trying to elbow each other out of the way because, are, you know, as I said before, there's some giant egos involved in So does,
0: does Labour hold its line on not working with Winston
1: Peters? Oh, I believe that they have. They, they are holding their line um, on that. Well, I'm asking and, you whether they ought um, to. Yeah, I, I do believe that's the right way to go because it does actually make it very clear about having a coalition that can work together or one that's that's going to have real difficulty getting on with each other. It, it really puts a
2: very strong divide there. But realistically, though, I think it's the polar polls puts that three party the party multi green labor um, coalition chances of making it a government on their own. It's something like two percent yeah, or something. Like two, the pa- 02 percent. Point two percent. <laughs> so it's even worse. But this again, so, this again,
0: this again, this is this is and this is what we opened with, is there time for a late shift?
2: Yeah, no, but what I'm saying is that, so if you're saying that is what Labour is counting just on getting into government with mm. those, the late shift has got to be something quite phenomenal. phenomenal. And there has
0: not been a sign
1: of that so far. So, so can I well,
2: ask... No it doesn't, it doesn't, no, it doesn't need to be something quite phenomenal.
1: A shift of 4% actually does it. So, I mean, I think so that's, what are your numbers? What you, that's what people need to understand. What are your numbers? If a shift of 4%, um, a swing of four percent to the left actually can bring um, brings a Labor government into into play. That's all it takes, and that's why you know people. I, I think that it is difficult for people to get their heads around MNP maths, but that's that size of swing and that can happen in a period like this is all it would take. So I think that people need to be really realistic. It's not off the cards that zero point two percent. Um, is a, is a made-up statistic based on a range of polls that have been taken um, over a period of time rather than actually looking at the current situation and understanding what, what shifts actually mean in, in voter um, intention. I think that last um, that last leaders' debate, that's demonstrably changed the, the conversation I'm having on doorsteps um, over the last couple of weeks. All right. I've noticed this week... I mean, it's a big swing in a a non-volatile election, is what I would
0: say, but that's what voters are perfectly entitled to do. of the pollsters, as Jim Bolger said, I think, one year. Finally, though, if that doesn't happen, uh, Sue, again, looking at the numbers as they are indicated at the moment, many sitting MPs and Cabinet Ministers even miss being back in Parliament. And at the very least, that would be a major concern for the party, a major reason to uh, keep campaigning damn hard, would it not?
1: Oh, it's a, absolutely. They've got every reason to keep campaigning hard. Um, not only that, can I? I can say though that that's completely overstated. Some of the commentary I've seen, the the commentary that you know Grant Robertson is at risk, and um, David Parker and Andrew Little, it's it's just a nonsense. Um, you know, I was a list MP the whole time I was in Parliament. I was uh, the highest I was on our party list was number ten and I still survived a twenty five percent vote for the Labour Party. So, you know, again, you know, I, I just wish that the journalists whose job it is to understand politics and and share that with the public would actually understand how we M&B mean. That's M&B's a very M&B's fair work. point, Sue.
0: Let's talk about election oh, sites right. because <laughs> what we are anticipating yeah. and perhaps what is being missed in some of the of the reporting is a swing in the electorate seats, right? So just remind us, uh, you know, the number you get off the list uh, uh, depends on how many... You begin with your electorate seats and then you top up. uh, And if there is a big swing, and Labour won't be thrilled about this, but if there's a big swing in the electorate seats to national, does that allow people further down the list, more people to survive?
2: Yeah,
1: that's exactly how it works. And and those two things are, you know, they are completely linked with each other. Um, And we'll see it, I believe, on election night that um, this idea that individuals win electorates is is not correct. It is is completely tied to... Um, what is happening with the party's fortunes. And so there will be electorates that are lost that that Labour currently holds. Of course there will be. Never in our history under MNP has any party had um, more than 50% of the vote. So that reflected in the electorates that um, Labour won um, at the last election. It will reflect also on the electorates they will lose at this election.
2: Any comment, Bridget, or we leave it there? Oh, no, I totally agree with Sue on the fact that electorate seats are actually not being counted necessarily in Labour and some of those really key ones I think you're going to see in some of the regions is actually going to be really hard for Labour. You look just down the east coast, that's a particular region where it looks like it could all um, go to the blue team and I think that's going to be really hard for Labour because you're just going to wipe out your representation going forward looking beyond this current election. Uh, It's not pretty either way, which is why
0: they will undoubtedly uh, keep fighting hard all parties. It's two weeks... I'm thinking of some of the, oh, you mentioned 2005, some of the weirdness that can happen in the last two weeks of a campaign. <laughs> there is still time for plenty of weirdness. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time, both of you. Sue Maroney and Bridget Morton.